Good morning. Could I have you stand for the reading of God's Word? My name is Melissa Hollinger, and I am thrilled to see you all here today. I have the privilege of reading from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. You may have noticed that we're in a new series. We always start a new series at the beginning of the year called Adjusting Our Focus. The, the title of today's sermon originally was Accepting Authority. I'm changing that to another word, Understanding authority. The idea of adjusting our focus is that things get out of focus in our life and in our world, right? We hear many voices coming from all different parts of our culture, and we wonder what's the right thing? Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Which way should I travel? That's why we began with the Ten Ten Commandments, although the sermon is not necessarily a series on the Ten Commandments. We began there because the Ten Commandments are one of those things that seem never to go away. I mean, even among people who do not believe, everybody knows about the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, among other things, if you were to be reductionistic, are about God's authority over humanity. But let's look at that a little bit more. So I begin with a personal confession. I have a problem with authority. I a lot of times don't like it. I frequently want to resist it. Since the earliest days of my existence, my parents would tell you that among the three boys in our household, I was the one who most quickly resisted authority. I was always the the rebellious one. That didn't change my parents' approach to obedience, but it did challenge it. I still have a problem with authority. But here's what I know. 
so do you. Right? I'm not the only one. I might be worse than some others, but we all have trouble with it. We have trouble with it for at least three reasons. One, part of our problem is personal. Correct? In other words, we don't like being told what to do. Just part of our nature. Even as a very small child, it comes through. We had our first grandchild recently in June. What was it? The 5th, dear? Yes, I got it. June 5th. Um, He missed my birthday by just a few days. Mine's June 1st. But he's still okay. Uh, June 5th. We had, we had a baby born into our family. Now, that baby, his name is Teddy, is still young enough that you don't really see defiance in him, right? Most of the time when you see Teddy cry, you think, oh, he needs something. Well, that's what I'm here for. I don't know when it's going to happen, but there's going to come a point that Teddy is going to say something without words that means this. It's coming, right? It comes for all of us. We have a personal responsibility with authority because, well, we don't like to admit that we need it. We have a personal problem with authority because we're not inclined to trust an authority figure when we think we've got it all figured out. I know what's best for me. Why do you think you know? We have a personal problem with authority, quite frankly, because we know, we all know this well, and most of us at some level have experienced it. Authority has betrayed us. Authority has abused us. That's a personal problem we have with authority, and I get it. There's another problem we have with authority, but this problem is not so much personal as it is cultural. We have a problem with authority culturally, among other reasons, because there's so many voices in a huge culture. And as a matter of fact, our national identity seems to be based on the resistance to authority. Need I remind you of the American Revolution? From the very beginning, we were that independent-minded people that said, no, we'll do it our way. And still to this day, it's part of our DNA in the United States of America. As much beauty as there has been in that idea, as much as it has given us progress in our culture, That idea has within it the seeds of its own destruction. When you think of yourself as absolutely independent and autonomous and resisting authority, before long you will destroy not only yourself, but your culture around you. Because authority seems to be necessary. I will say third reason we have problem with authority is definitional. So we don't always mean the same thing about authority when we use the word. As an example, 
Um, in, in this congregation, there is an eye doctor who is my eye doctor. His name is Dr. Jason Gray. Dr. Gray? Yeah. All right. He admits it. Okay. He's an authority on the eye. He knows more about the eye than I will ever know. And I listen to him when he tells me something. Why? Because he's an authority. I mean, he doesn't have authority over me. He doesn't sit me in the chair and strap me in and say, you're going to do this. He gives me advice. And if I'm smart, I submit to his expert authority. But there's another kind of authority. That's one definition that we might be thinking of. Another kind of authority, the one we resist more often than not, is the authority of a teacher or a judge or a policeman or like me when I was a child, the authority of my parents. Because that kind of authority has the power to judge. I don't mean to shame someone, but to judge someone for inappropriate behavior. A judge can deliver a decree that can put me behind bars. A police officer can handcuff me because I'm out of control. That is a different definition of authority but it's an important one. Here's what I want to say. God has both kinds of authority. God understands us completely, inside and out, as creator, expert authority. And God is the judge, completely unambiguously, absolutely. Of course, human authority has its problems. Human authority is fallible. God's authority is impeccable. But there's something else about God's authority. Since God is both physician and judge, God's authority is intended for healing. God doesn't want to judge you just for the pleasure of bringing down a hammer. He wants to love you with his judgments so that you can find healing. So that you can avoid the inevitable results of your own sin. God is the expert and he's a judge authority. So let's think about four categories of authority, shall we, in the scripture. The first is God's authority to judge. God's authority to judge. Uh, we hear a lot about God's authority to judge in the Scriptures. Um, as I mentioned, human judges fail, but God's authority is impeccable. He knows all. He sees all. 
God's authority is absolutely perfect and impeccable. God's authority in judgment is also corrective. The point of his judgment in his authority is to correct us. You probably are familiar with the passage in Hebrews that speaks about a father who corrects his children. And the analogy is just like a father corrects his children in order for the father to direct that child, so God corrects us. It's pretty clear to me, at least, that that was an allusion to the book of Proverbs, especially in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. Those God loves, he corrects, he disciplines, he judges. We may debate what kind of authority or judgment God distributes to us, but one thing I do think is beyond debate in the Scripture is that God is the eternal judge. His judgment is eternal. That's pretty serious. The second thing I want to mention about authority is God's authority to instruct. God is our teacher, according to the Scripture. God's truth and instruction are timeless, um, and some people consider it to be out of date, but it's not. Uh, For those of you who weren't born this far back, uh, which I know is a lot of you, there used to be a commentator, uh, a news journalist on ABC that I I loved to listen to. He had a program called Nightline. How many of you know who it was? Yeah, Ted Koppel. He was articulate. He was careful. His interviews were brilliant. I loved listening to Ted Koppel. On one occasion in 1987, which was near the end of his career, he was invited as a celebrity speaker to give an address to the graduating class of Duke University. And in his speech, among other things, he said this, We have spent 5,000 years as a race of rational human beings trying to drag ourselves out of the primeval slime by searching for truth and moral absolutes. But in the place of truth, we've discovered facts. For moral absolutes, we have substituted moral ambiguity. We now communicate with everyone and say absolutely nothing. We have reconstructed the Tower of Babel, and it is a television antenna. A thousand voices producing a daily parody of democracy in which everyone's opinion is afforded equal weight, regardless of substance or merit. Indeed, it can be argued that opinions of real weight tend to sink with barely a trace into television's ocean of banalities. Our society finds truth too strong a medicine to digest undiluted. In its purest form, truth is not a polite 
tap on the shoulder. It's a howling reproach. What Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not the ten suggestions. They are commandments. Were and are, he adds. Ted Koppel was not a Christian. His religious background was Jewish. So you might credit his understanding and level of importance concerning the Ten Commandments to that. Or maybe, maybe just, maybe, as a cultural critic, he was looking at our world and saying, we're in a mess if we don't have some sort of authority structure that is absolute. There's a passage that all of you know, um, but I'm going to read a portion of it to you. It's from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The law of the Lord, says the psalmist. And by the way, he didn't always follow it. We know that. He resisted it like I have and you have. But he recognized the law of the Lord was perfect and it actually revived his soul. Listening to those words, taking those words in and following those words was like the healing of the soul. The decrees of the Lord, he says, are trustworthy. Not every decree is trustworthy. Not every person is trustworthy. But God is. And those decrees are trustworthy. And they literally make us wise even though we may be foolish. The commandments of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I mean, think of the rejoicing that comes from justice when things are out of control. The law of the Lord is also clear, giving insight for living. That's about the authority of God to instruct. It's unambiguously clear, according to the Scripture, that God gave us directives, directives to live by. And if we live by those directives, this is the result. The final point, the final two points, I'm sorry, concerning authority uh, are these, the authority of knowledge. Remember that if I stand in the position of authority over someone, and I give a decree concerning that individual, 
I may actually not have real knowledge of that individual. Or put it another way, I might not have the standing to say this is what you ought to do. Because I don't realize what they've heard before. I don't realize who they are on the inside. I don't know how they're made. Unless it's my child or my close friend. But you see, the reality of God's authority is it's a knowledge that is complete. God is our designer, our creator. It's like the physician who understands my body better than I could understand it myself and gives me advice. That's the God speaking through his commandments. As a matter of fact, another psalm puts it so well. Psalm 139. Listen to this. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. And you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is like light to you. You, God, created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The God who is our authority and our judge is the one who knows us inside and out. So we can, or we should trust him. When you read a passage like that, it could strike fear in your heart. Can't get away from God, right? That would be a rational fear. That would be a concern. But if you take a look at the way the psalmist is laying this out, it doesn't seem like that's the motivation. He doesn't seem to fear God because God knows him. He finds comfort and shelter in God because God knows him. You know me completely. I can trust you unequivocally because you know me. Thanks be to God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The final point is the authority of Jesus Christ. The authority of Jesus Christ. He became one of us. He's our teacher. He's an authoritative guide for our life. But you know what's so amazing? (laughs) He's both our redeemer and our judge. Both Redeemer 
and judge. The one who will finally destroy all evil is the one who has already covered our sins and destroyed evil with his resurrection. My life verse, in case you were interested, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who did not know sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the one that you feel horror at pointing towards you and your sin is the one who hung on the cross and died for your sin. The one you resist as the authority over your life is the one who loves you so much that he already paid the penalty for all the problems that you have. It is that one who invites you into his realm of authority and asks you to live for him. How great could that be? I mean, it must be. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 said, this is the wisdom of God, which is greater than the wisdom of man. It's actually foolishness. It's ridiculous calculus in logic. It is absolute sublime absurdity that God should step into our position and take it all. And in so doing, he judged the very sin that destroys us. And in so doing, he gave us a road map to live by. He was one of us. As the book of Hebrews reminds us, he was tempted in every way just like us, but yet without sin. At the beginning of uh, every year, uh, my wife, who is a elementary school principal, assigns certain teachers who have been around for a long time to teachers who are brand new. They're mentors. You know why that's valuable, right? Because the teacher who's the mentor has been through it. Some of them have been teaching for 30 years. They've seen it all. And they literally surround that young teacher with wisdom, with instruction. Maybe you could even call it authority. And it's beautiful. I like to hike with my son. Um, done some great hikes. But I've never done any hikes that are just ridiculous, where virtually nobody's gone. If I did one of those hikes, you know what I would want? A guide. A guide who'd been there and done that. Then I'd take the hike. If I was a soldier, and those of you who have been in the past know the importance of a leader who has been through the battles. You can trust him or her 
because she or he knows what it's like. Oh, I'm, I'm far more likely to listen to them than to somebody just yapping in my ear without knowledge. So here we are, standing under what might seem like oppressive authority and realizing the one who has authority over us is the one who holds our hand. The one who says, I've been down that road. Don't go this way. Follow me. I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. That's the kind of authority that gives comfort and calm and revives the soul. Let's follow him. Will you pray with me? Lord, we admit readily that we don't like to follow. We know we need it. We admit readily we don't like authority because we want to do everything our way. But we also know, based on our history, that our way has frequently not worked. So, Lord, give us the wisdom um, to follow you. Even when it doesn't seem to make sense, even though it chafes us, even though we want to rebel, break us down, Lord, with your love. Take us by the hand and ask us to follow you. And if we hear that voice, Lord, if we read your scriptures and see your truth, at least right now, our, our will will shift. But at least right now, Lord, hear these words. We will follow. Amen.